Good morning. If you're watching this, it means that you're at church. Welcome. It also means that I am not at church. Uh, but I wanted to take this opportunity to introduce our speakers for this morning, Chad and Andrea Riddle. Just to uh, set them up a little bit, you'll remember in our sermon series sent last week, uh, I uh, read from John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. The Bible says that Jesus um, said to the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so I encouraged uh, all of us last week that we've been sent by Jesus, that uh, our power is the power of the Holy Spirit, that our promise is his presence with us, and um, that Jesus has put us in the world where he wants us to communicate his love and his power. Um, this morning, Chad and Andrea Riddle are going to be speaking to us. Uh, Andrea is the founder and director of The Poor House, which is a ministry that loves and assists people experiencing homelessness in Indianapolis. I've known uh, Andrea for 12 years. I've known Chad for many years as well. Um, they run this ministry together, and they very practically embody the mercy of God for people experiencing homelessness. I, wanted, I asked them to uh, speak this morning to just share their story about what it looks like for them to be sent by Jesus into the world. Chad and Andrea Riddle. I, hey, we are live. Good morning. It's 944. I'm not usually brilliant until 10, so wait for it, okay? <laughs> okay, well, I'm just, I am not a polished speaker. I'm, I'm just going to kind of share my story with you. As you know, Randy asked us to speak. Um, the theme is sent, so I'm going to kind of share my journey with you of being sent and how I'm still actually being sent on a daily basis. I was raised in a Christian home uh, in the Nazarene Church, and back then they kind of believed that the Holy Spirit was unemployed. He existed, but he didn't really do anything. So I gained a lot of really valuable biblical knowledge and a lot of foundational stuff, um, but didn't really understand having an active and living and breathing relationship with Jesus and how the Holy Spirit helped us to walk that out. So... Fast forward until, and then backwards, 17 years ago, so I don't know how old I was, but about 17 years ago, I came to the vineyard. Um, I was drunk at the time, but fortunately I'm not now. Um, but just I was in a really difficult place in life, but I really understood and began to learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit, empowering me to live out my relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. Um, one thing that was really big at that time, we were doing a lot of spiritual gift inventories and uh, just a lot of focus on, like, what is your calling? And I'd heard a lot of that growing up, too, like, you know, what is your calling? What were you created to do? And in looking back, I think that that's a good thing for people to focus on, but I think that uh, it also can trip some people up because you get so focused on figuring out what your calling is that you get really paralyzed. You know, you, like, do nothing. You're like, wait for it wait for it, you know, I have to wait for my calling, I don't know what I'm called to do, and um, so at, through, through the beginning of this whole journey, I really thought that I had figured out my calling, now, as I look back, I see there was a theme in my early days of trying to figure out my calling, and that was boys I liked, so my calling seemed to match up with whoever I liked at the time, so I liked this guy from South Africa, and so I was convinced that I was called to go to the streets of Africa and work with these kids that live on the street that sniff glue. Um, so then 
that kind of fell along the wayside and suddenly that wasn't my calling anymore. And so I moved on to another calling, which was there was this missionary in Lebanon. Well, I and probably 400 other single women were convinced that this was our calling to marry this man and to be a missionary in Lebanon. And uh, so that was my calling for a while. Well, then he ended up marrying somebody else. So I figured out, oh, that probably wasn't my calling. Um, then I just started uh, there. I don't know if many of you remember the Abbey Coffee House that was up here in Castleton, but it was coffee houses were the very in thing at that time. So we were jacked up on a lot of coffee because we hung out there all the time. My friends and I did. And when I was there, I started to hang out with these high school kids that were there and they taught me how to play chess and I never won, but I fancied myself a chess aficionado. And we started to hang out and, and share time together, share our lives together. And, and most of these kids were dabbling in Satanism or were you know, in the occult in some way, shape or form. And we would just hang out, do things together and stuff. And so I started to think now, I wonder if this is my calling, if I'm supposed to work with kids coming out of the occult. And one day when I was sitting in church um, during the sermon, I had a vision. And for those of you who aren't kind of schooled in that whole thing, basically I just had this picture in my mind of something that was really vivid that I thought, wow, that came out of nowhere. And so I poorly sketched it, and it was hands with coffee pouring out of it over the earth and into a cup. And I saw the words poorhouse, and I thought, I don't know what the heck that is, but surely I didn't come up with that, so I'm just going to sketch it and stick it in my Bible. Well, as I kind of pondered that over the next couple of weeks, I thought, oh, I bet I'm supposed to start a coffee house for kids that are involved in the occult and everything. And there was even this abandoned schoolhouse um, downtown that Charles Manson had briefly gone to, so I was pretty sure that this was the cool place that it had to happen because Charles Manson was there. Um, so anyway, it's just funny how we can craft our ideas and we try to piece it all together for God and and kind of you know fit this puzzle together which I think is important because we should explore opportunities and explore things um, during this time I was working as a temp uh, in downtown Indy and I was working for an extended amount of time in particular with uh, an architectural firm called HNTB bless their hearts um, I wasn't too sanctified at the time, so when I started temping there, I told them that I had narcolepsy so I could nap at my desk whenever I wanted to. <laughs> Take a nap. <laughs> One day, um, I came out during lunchtime, and I was standing across the, I was standing on the outside of the circle, and I looked over, and I saw a man. saw a man digging in a trash can for his lunch. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, you know, you're going out to pick out what restaurant you want to get your lunch from. And this man's choices are what everybody else has thrown away. And so I went across the street and I introduced myself to him and his name was Tom Lale. And we started, I asked him if I could buy him lunch and we started a weekday ritual of hanging out and eating lunch together every day. And Tom had paranoid schizophrenia and he was unmedicated. He was actually a, a dual personality as well. And so he was a lot of fun because <laughs> you never know, really knew who you were having lunch with. Um, but he was awesome. And we just started sharing our lives together. And 
I, I realized that although I had been raised uh, in a family where we welcomed all cultures and all people, and I thought I was very open-minded, I still had sort of these stereotypes and boxes that I put someone who was homeless in. And I realized, you know what, this is a, a person just like me. This is a person who had a family, who had dreams and vision for their life, and for him that was stolen by mental illness. I continued my friendship with this Tom, and then I met another guy named Tom Shelby, and he was a, a Vietnam veteran who had lost one of his legs in the war, and he was living in a wheelchair. He was a very chronic alcoholic. I did stuff that I highly recommend you don't do, like move him into my apartment for a short time. Then I moved him into my friend Eddie's apartment, and he would use his trash can as a urinal. He loved that. Um, but I finally was able to help this man get into an assisted living facility so that he could live out the rest of his days in dignity. Um, I then ended up leaving downtown and started working north. I started. I got a real job instead of sleeping at my desk. And uh, as I was um, doing that, I started to still you know, keep searching for my calling. And what I did during that time is I pretty much did whatever was in front of me because the vineyard as a whole kind of moved toward this servant evangelism focus. And it was like, if there's something to do, we're going to do it. So I served in a food pantry, uh, ran our food pantry downtown at this place called the Father's House. I actually got locked in there one night, couldn't get out, had to climb out a window um, on the second floor. And then I also, we would drive around through the neighborhoods and we would hand out loaves of bread, which was a hoot. We'd go down to the Indy 500 track and we would hand out uh, free water and stuff just telling people that, we, you know, that Jesus loved them. Uh, somewhere during this time, I went to a conference at the vineyard that's in Kitchener-Waterloo up in Canada. I went with Pam Copeland. She spoke uh, about a month ago, I think. And she and I went up there and I had received several prophetic words from people about Ruth from the Bible, from the Old Testament. And I wasn't really quite sure what all this Ruth business was. So uh, during this time, it was actually John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard, who was speaking at this conference. It was one of the last times he spoke. And they had ministry time, and he said, I'm not going to have anybody come up here and, you know, do any kind of prophetic stuff. He said, I want uh, you to just come up and just ask the Lord to speak to you. So I'm like, well, I guess I want to hear something. So, you know, I went up, and as I was standing there, I was like, all right, Lord, what, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What exactly, you know, am I doing here? Do you have anything to say to me? And I very rarely... I, I never have had a situation where I really have like audibly heard practically the Lord speaking to me, but I heard you have the spirit of Ruth. And I literally said out loud, are you kidding me with this Ruth thing again? You know, I'm just talking to him. I said, what is that supposed to mean? Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hang out with, you know, mother-in-laws whose sons have died and want, you know, what is this all about? And then I heard again, you have the spirit of Ruth. And I said, what is the spirit of Ruth? And he said, you're to follow behind the reapers and gather up the ones that are left behind. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I knew that was something. I still wasn't sure what that was, but I had surely heard the Lord speak to me. Um, I was then, after that, for a couple of years, I drove a carload car of illegal, I know, but like 10 to 12 kids at a time to church from the uh, very down, like uh, poorer neighborhood near the uh, close to downtown area. And I drove these kids every Sunday and it was crazy. And for those of you who know me at all, I am not a person who works with kids well. Love my daughter. Not a, not a kid person. That's not like my thing, you know. Um, 
But it was like, I think that God was saying at that time, are you willing to do what I ask you to do? Will you be obedient? Will you do, you know, when I say do something, will you do it? As I was, during this time, as I was working in different areas of the city, I was, do, I was a network engineer, and so I worked different places. Um, a funny thing happened, and that is that Tom Lale, that first man that I had met, would pop up. I'm talking all over the city. He would just pop up. And the Lord used him to speak prophetically to me about the calling on my life. And he would, he would appear in front of me on his bike, and he would say, Hey, you know what? You're an angel called to the homeless. Or he would say, We love you. We love you, and the homeless people love you. Just like strange stuff like this just pop up out of nowhere. I'm like, Where did you come from this time? Um, and so I realized that I, I wanted to look more into that, and so I started to volunteer at different agencies in the city. And I've, I have volunteered at just about every place that there is. And the cool thing is that that gave me an opportunity to see what was already out there. Rather than assuming that, you know, I had some wonderful plan or something, let's find out what's going on out there. And as I started to volunteer with those agencies, I realized that what I really wanted to know is who people were as individuals. That there are programs that are created and those are necessary to assist people, but at the same time for me, I want to know like who are you as a person and how can I help you to be that person to, to walk out your destiny. Um, I felt like the Lord started to tell me, I want you to start something. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, you're going to find out. And I said, okay. So I didn't really know what I was doing. There was no grand master plan laid out before me. I had no business plan. I had no strategic mission. I just basically did the next thing that he told me to do. So the first thing he told me to do was to take a bag, a freezer bag full of those Mr. Freeze popsicles and a pair of scissors and to go downtown and sit on the circle and wait. And so it was like the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come, you know. So I went down to the circle with my popsicles and my scissors, and I sat down. And these men who were living on the street started to come and hang out with me. And we started to share our lives, and we would hang out. We would talk about the cars going by. We would talk about the day. We would talk about the weather. We would talk about everything. We became friends and really began to build community. That grew to what it is today, which is the poorhouse as it exists today. And those same two nights, we meet um, in one of the parks. We have a permit from the city and the War Memorials Foundation. We serve 500 meals a week. We serve over 80 gallons of coffee, um, clothing, hygiene products, you name it. But really what we focus on is asking people, what's the next step that you need to take in your life and how can we help you take that step? And really just focusing on community, focusing on knowing people as individuals. Just as you and I you know, may be friends and we assist each other and we love each other and we encourage each other, that's our goal is to really see people as people, as peers. Our tagline is, my name is not homeless. And so that's really our thing is to know people's names, not to see them as a housed or unhoused group of people, but to truly see people as individuals and to see them as God sees and loves them. Um, kind of on, I was going to say also that kind of on a practical level, what we do is we then, after those gatherings, we'll hook up with people during the week. We'll do court advocacy, health care advocacy, assist them with finding housing, assist them with finding jobs. 
Um, we're very specialized in working with people who are chronically uh, homeless and who are severely mentally ill and working with them kind of within the boundaries of what their reality is as opposed to us having a wonderful plan for their life. Um, a few things I, I'd made myself a few notes to encourage you. If you feel that you are called to do something, first of all, do whatever's in front of you. You know, that's the thing. Do whatever's in front of you. Don't try to put it, don't try to piece it together. And looking back, I see that the experiences that, that I had and the people that I interacted with, those were all tools in my belt. I, God was equipping me for what he had called me to do. And I'm still called not only to this people group, but also to whoever my neighbor is that's in front of me. Be open to unconventional ministry. Um, actually, the Lord told me, do not form this as a ministry. So people say ministry, but we are actually just a 501c3 non-faith-based organization. And I didn't understand at the time about that. But really what it is is it has allowed us to gain great respect with the other service providers in the city because there is kind of a stigma that's attached to ministries. And so we were seen as a professional organization. It's allowed us to become one of five uh, recognized professional outreach organizations in the city. And we work directly with IMPD and all the other uh, big wigs in the city. Um, it also has allowed us to open our doors to people of all faith groups who don't feel like they have to come in being somebody other than who they truly are and believing differently than they are. Um, and so it's, it's really opened a lot more doors than I ever saw. Plan to make mistakes and say, who cares? <laughs> I mean, you will fail. I guarantee you that you will fail. You will do stupid stuff. It really doesn't matter. I mean, you have to believe that God has a plan and that he operates much better than we do. So if we screw it up, he's going to fix it. He'll fix it out there somewhere. You know, you don't want to be steeped in sin or anything like that. But you're going to mess up and who cares? Be aware of the big picture, not only who you are serving, but who's serving with you. Um, one thing that we've seen is that our outreach staff are people who we have uh, black Muslims, we have uh, Muslims from the Middle East, we have Buddhists, we have atheists, we have all sorts of people, you know, kind of going back to that unconventional ministry who have felt welcome to come and to experience Jesus because they didn't feel like there was a barrier there. One more, just one more thing on the word ministry. Remember that ministry a lot of times makes a lot of sense to people in the church. The word ministry doesn't make a lot of sense to the people who are not churched. So that's another advantage of not calling yourself that. If, you're, if you feel that you're called to people outside of the body of Christ, think about the language that you use and things of that sort. Remember that you want it to um, connect with and pertain to the, the common man. Um, don't be dead set on the wonderful plan you've created. Remember that your, your plan is not what's happening. It's Jesus' plan. So you kind of want to be open to that. Don't get focused on one thing. I've done that. Uh, keep it simple. It's not complicated. I always go back to the original. I try to, you know, oh, we need to do this. We need to do this. It's like, no, we don't. We just need to love people as Christ is calling us to love them. It's that simple. That's the bottom line. That's what matters. Um, it's not always easy. Don't think it's going to be easy. Don't think it's going to be easy. Don't think it's going to be easy. <laughs> there are so many days when I want to smash my head on the wall and quit. 
but I know I can't. Don't think it's just going to be easy breezy because ah, I've been called and Jesus is going to open every door. Sometimes it is really hard. Sometimes it is emotionally going to suck the life out of you. And that's where you have to remember where you get your strength from. We buried 55 people last year. 55. Death is a normal occurrence for us. Losing our friends who we have walked with and invested in is a daily thing for us. You might not be called to something that's that emotionally draining, but I'm telling you, it's not always easy. So don't let that throw you off. And last, people, not projects. We are dealing with people, souls, not projects. So don't see them as people to save, that it's your mission to save them. You are to love them as brothers and sisters. Um, I'm going to have Joseph show a quick video, and then uh, Chad, my wonderful husband, who I love so much, is going to come up and share a little bit with you. here in Indianapolis on the street, live on the street, street life, just live on the street, on the streets, going on the street, here on the streets. I used to live like that once. The guilt and shame overcame me, you know, you're not a husband, you're not a father, you know, you can't succeed at a job, you're no good. That was the, that was the identity I took on, that, that, um, that I just wasn't worthy, you know what I mean? I, I was the bottom. I was the worst of the worst thing. You know, it really wasn't my my living status again, you, you know, because if you would have put me in a, you know, 50 bedroom mansion, I was still hopeless. You know what I mean? I, I you know, my spirit was broken. So I, I would have died in that beautiful home. But, you know, that that's that's what I walked around with. It was like a load that you know, again, I couldn't carry. And the only thing that would help me with that was drinking. I met a lady named Andrea Demink who runs the poorhouse, whom I volunteer for today. You know, and she spoke uh, some words to me about, you know, you don't have to stay like this forever. There's, you know, opportunity for change. That night, right away, it, it w I felt like I do now almost. I mean, I felt like I was normal, like, like completely healed, completely everything. Today I have an opportunity to work with people who are on the street. I, actually, they're my friends, you know, it's more than that. And this um, organization who, whom I volunteer for is a poorhouse, and I have an opportunity to show love and patience and kindness to those p people who are in the shoes I was once in. We'll walk around, pass out the bags, um, uh, break out the coffee for everybody, you know, get that rolling. This is pretty cool. It's like a, a lot of people gathering all together, you know. It was like, I don't know, like a like a dinner party or something almost, you know, for people who live on the street. And uh, after we pass out the food, then we just hang out all night for like literally three hours, four hours sometimes in the winter. It's like we just hang out with people. For me, the biggest thing was having relationships with people. Not not just surface how you doing relationships, but relationships to where we walk through life together, you know? 
how, how do you interact with somebody who's on the street when you're not used to it or something? And it's like, you know, they're shaking a cup or whatever, and it, it's kind of intimidating or however you feel. It's like, you know, just say hi to them. You know, how you doing? There's somebody too. You know what I mean? They have a story just like we all do. It's just that, you know, they're without a house. Carry a pair of socks on you, you know, if you think you're going to come across that, you know, because socks are a big deal, you know, because when you're wearing them for two weeks, that's not too, too nice. <laughs> Just spending that time with somebody, that makes somebody's life change, you know, that can be life changing right there. You know, we all make mistakes and nobody's perfect. It's about, you know, progress, not perfection, and, and just being able to love them right where they're at. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm Chad Riddle. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> um... Yeah, that, that was my life at one point, you know, um, just having experienced living on the street and being homeless. Can everybody hear me? Okay. My voice is kind of loud. <laughs> I yell. Um, yeah, due to, due to addiction, guilt and shame, and just walking away from God in my life is what landed me in that position. But, you know, Christ came into my life at 98. I won't go through my whole testimony. A lot of you guys already know it. But um, God came to me prophetically in 98 with cuffs on, ready to get incarcerated. I mean, just came out of the sky. It was like uh, I, saw, I saw God, Jesus Christ, in the sky saying, Chad, you can either continue to do what you're doing and die, or you can come with me and live. So so at that moment, for whatever reason, I just surrendered. I was like, Lord, here I am. Take me, mold me. You know, I'm pliable. I'm busted up. Do what you're going to do with me. So in the midst of that, I, I um, was reading scripture and learning and growing and got connected with the church. Um, but somewhere along the line, I looked away. I thought, God, you poured out tangibly on my life. This is all beautiful. Thank you for getting my license back. I bought a house. I'm living the American dream, got an awesome job in the trade. But still, there was some deep stuff inside of me that I had walls up that still needed healing. And I, for whatever reason, I, the timing, obviously, you know, I'm God's child, so he, he'll do what he wants when he wants. But, um, I wasn't willing, I guess, to go that deep with him. I mean, it stopped somewhere, so I fell flat on my face, as you can see. But having, even though I fell on my face, I was still a kingdom kid. You know what I mean? I still was in the kingdom. It wasn't like I didn't know Jesus Christ, not that I wasn't saved. You know, I had a, I had a full relationship with Jesus. So in, in the midst of that, like what Andrew was talking about, about being like called and sent, being on the side of people sent to me as well as me being the sender today. Um, when I was on the street, I was in a lot of places. I was like here in Indianapolis. I was in Kansas City. I was in St. Louis. I was in Kansas. I was all over the place thinking that, you know, if I went somewhere else, it, my objection actually was to go somewhere else and die farther away from home in my selfishness. Like, you know, go clear out to California and get killed or something like that. So nobody will know where I'm at. Um, so, but in the midst of this, it's like, um, th there was people of the church that I was kind of like deep inside of me. I knew where to go. I was like, I got to get back to Jesus. I got to get back into re relationship with God somehow, some way, but I don't know how, I don't know how to, um, 
conduct my life and put down this bottle long enough to get healed. So for me, I would like cling to these church people, like people with church people, just people who, who were Christians that came out in different cities and different areas to um, serve people who lived on the street, because obviously that was me. You know, I was in the same clothes for days and, and drunk laying beside a building. So they would come out and, and take care of the the outward need as far as I, I haven't ate in two days because I've drank for two days. So I, I get something to eat. You know, I'm drinking water because I'm dehydrated. And all that was good. And nowhere did I find... Um, people who would see me as people. I mean, just like Andrea was talking about, and again, what's unique, I believe, about the poorhouse, which really isn't unique at all. It's just what we do in everyday life. I mean, we all have friends and people who encourage us and, and prod us and love us and get in our face when we need to, but all in love to encourage us through life. So it's like, for me, the folks that I met in different cities, like none of that happened. And again, it's God's timing. Not that he didn't use those people necessarily to, to fill a practical need, but it just didn't hit that, that deep place that I needed personally. So I make my way somehow back to uh, Indianapolis and, you know, I'm hanging out with the poorhouse one night and um, Andrew actually spoke life into me, like I said, like literally said, God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. I'm like, lady, I don't know who in the heck you are, who you think you are. You know what I mean? Like I'm a bad, mean guy, you know, who drinks all the time and I don't want your love because again, my walls are up. Don't, don't come near me. But literally something penetrated at that time where the Holy Spirit lit inside of me and I was able to see clearly for that moment as well as know deep down inside that God had called me back in 98 into the kingdom and to, to serve and do the things I do today. But yet um, when that fire was lit, I had vision again. So that was really um, 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 <laughs> a, a um, just a fire inside my soul that allowed me to um, move forward. Um, another thing that I, I saw on the street also is, again, like Andrew said, like the language that we use, like, you know, I wasn't less than anybody. I mean, it kind of it kind of offended me, like when people would come up to me and act like I needed to be saved or, or you know, I was demonized or something weird. I, I totally I mean, I could sit there and talk to people about what was the matter with me. Like, look, I ran away from my family. I feel like dying now. And. I need some serious prayer or something. You know what I mean? It's like a simple thing. I need somebody to love me and tell me I'm going to be okay. Not that I need, you know, patted on the behind and walked all the way through life. I just need some encouragement right now because I'm ready to jump off the bridge, you know. And um, so I, I necessarily didn't find that. I found a lot that people were seeing me as lost in a way. In, in a way, I was lost, but, but my communication with them was that I know Jesus, but I'm running from him right now. So, so round me up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Pray for me, you know, or whatever I need. So that's a big thing. And one thing I watch out today too, I mean, there's a lot of lost people and we are sent to those like in that verse in uh, John 20, 21, like Randy said also, I mean, God sent us into the world, you know what I mean? As Jesus, you know, God sent Jesus. So that that is a mission for us, but also for me personally, my mission is um, each each one of us as well. You know, wherever I'm at is like who's in front of me because we're all not 100% because the kingdom hasn't come fully yet. So it's like we all have those areas that need redeemed and 
Um, for me personally, I like to go after those things. Like if God highlights somebody in the store or whatever, you know, I go after that thing. I want to encourage that person. I don't care whether it's my, my wife, my child, or, you know, any of you guys. I see something on you and God gives me that. I want to speak life into you and bring out destiny. Um, and some people have a better prophetic gift than that because sometimes I'm not good at that either. Like I want to like beat it out of somebody also, but, but God's maturing me and teaching me that that's not the way you do it. (laughs) Yeah. Big thing is, uh, just in these notes right here, just, um, yeah, God like, we are called to be Christ wherever we are. I know we hear that a lot, but that, that is the truth of it. When we walk out of here, I mean, that's our, our, our tagline here at the Vineyard, you know, go out into the world and to serve others. I mean, that's the main thing. As soon as you hit somebody out there, that's who you're serving. I mean, th- I think there might be a, a bigger calling on our lives, but in tangible and just in everyday life, you're not going to be that... Um, do some wondrous ministry necessarily. I mean, the wondrous mystery ministry, you know, supernaturally, naturally is to serve that person right in front of you. You know, to be in Walmart in the line and you see the guy with the messed up leg or whatever, and you pray for him, and whether he gets healed or not at that moment, I mean, you planted a seed, and and you know the Holy Spirit's working, or to encourage the lady that looks sad or whatever. I mean, that's that's what we're about and called to, and that's what. You know, I've learned to do um, at the poorhouse as well. Like, for me, the guys on the streets are my friends. I mean, they're just like any of you guys, you know. And it took, it takes time to build relationships and energy and emotional energy, you know, which before that was my whole issue with my life, I think, even growing up, is I would have like three people as my so-called friends who would stab me in my back. But I didn't know how to have relationships with people. And in 98, God taught me to ha- how to do that, which was the biggest thing in my life is to learn to have relationships with men, with women, with young and old. It's like, I put you here on this earth to have relationships with everybody. So he's opened that door for me, and now I can use it for goodness opposed to um, the negativity and the stuff I was doing when I was unsaved and didn't care about life. So I think that's a equipping of me that he continues to give me and mature me in and in doing that like down at the poorhouse i or down at the poorhouse just on the streets where we're at and where we serve is is doing that i have to continue to um love these guys where they're at especially in their brokenness like brokenness like i heard a a pastor bill johnson you guys probably know him he said sometimes we have to hug porcupines and and not that these guys are are or women are hard i mean some of us are porcupines sometimes it's like you you know i have to learn to put my stuff aside and and see these guys for who they are and it's only by the holy spirit that opens my eyes to see deeper than this surface thing because i could say you know here's whatever bob with the bad attitude that drinks all the time but the reality is there's a wall that's up that there's healing that needs to take place there so and the only way we're going to do it is love that's like our biggest command is to love and to learn how to do that is difficult for some of us sometimes when we've been spit on but i just encourage us that we have the ability to do that all of us who are in the kingdom because the Holy Spirit was deposited in us and we have the power to do that you know once we step out and be obedient to do so yeah and just practically people are people you know so for me it's just treat 
all like you would want to be treated. Like uh, I got a couple of scriptures here. Um, Second uh, Corinthians three three it says, uh, and Randy said this the other day, which is awesome. It says, uh, "You are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with uh, the Spirit of the Living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts." So I mean, that's us. We're walking around. People are watching us. How we act. You know what I mean? And we practically just should walk this out and and live it out you know what i mean it's not about a lot of words or or um i i think it's more so demonstration that's good i mean that's what transforms people's life when they see something that's different um and another scripture here is uh, matthew 22 36 through 39 um they say teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law jesus replied love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's another huge thing. I mean, it's just that simple, I think. It, it's simple yet complex because I think we put a lot of other stuff in there, a lot of our junk that um, clogs us up sometimes. And, you know, that's why we have each other, I think, is to um, make that clear. So I think uh, <laughs> that's all I got today, you guys. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, pray us out. Um, j- just about this, just to, that God would. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to have Andrea come up. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I, yeah, I want to go ahead. <laughs> Rand- <laughs> We're polished, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Randy had uh, asked us to share ways that you can help us. Um, some people aren't called to actually be hands-on. Some people are called to give as well. And we do not qualify for federal funding because we're so outside of the box. And so we really need monthly partners uh, to partner with us to help us to do what we do. So we have launched a new program. You're our guinea pigs. Um, It is the Poor House Partners uh, program. And if you become a monthly donor, you will receive a dog tag. These tags, all of our guys wear. They have uh, an emergency 24-7 toll-free line where they can reach us. It also has our website, and each person has a unique identifying number so that if something happens to them, if they pass away, if they end up in a hospital, if they end up in jail, emergency personnel notify us so that we know where they are. And so you'll be partnered with somebody. Uh, You'll receive a duplicate tag uh, that matches up with theirs, and that will give you someone. We'll we'll send you a profile uh, with some information about them so that you can pray for them and uh, can check in with us, and we can update you on how they're doing. So if you're interested in that, uh, we'll have Eddie Matthews out in the lobby to sign you up. All right. right. Now now I'll pray us out, and I know communion's coming and everything else. But Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence here, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for um, just consuming us, Lord. Um, We just ask for uh, practical insight how to walk out um, this command of loving others as we love ourselves, Lord. Just help us to uh, see each other as um, as you see us, Lord. We just want your eyes, Jesus. We just want your heart. Uh, just give us your feet that are swift, Lord. Feet, feet that run. Yeah, Father, just uh, empower our words and our actions, Lord, with um, a sense of healing and love, Lord. So uh, we, we just thank you, Lord, for all you continue to do in our lives. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen.